We're going to be finishing up this series called Thinking Christian, and I'm so glad that you're here with us, whether it's online or here this morning in person. Uh, next week, we're going to start a new series that's uh, something a little bit different. Some of you know this about me, but about nine and a half years ago, when we were deciding to move to Ottawa, when we accepted the position here at Bromley, one of the things we decided as a family is that we would get a dog. We felt that, you know, this would be a good time for us to get a dog. We'd had cats in the past, some fish occasionally that didn't last very long. But we wanted a dog. We thought it would be good for our kids. We got this wonderful dog named Chloe. Now, Chloe, there in this wonderful Hawaiian shirt, which is mine, but I don't think she ever gave it back because I don't know where it is anymore. Chloe, we bought with the intent of getting a German Shepherd. We wanted a German Shepherd. We knew that our son really liked German Shepherds, so we're going to get a German Shepherd. We contacted someone who had German Shepherd puppies. And we went to go see that someone who was just outside of Ottawa when we were visiting places to rent here in Ottawa. And they showed us the puppies, and they were cute puppies, and we're like, okay, we're going to get one of these German Shepherd puppies. Turns out she's not a German Shepherd. She's a King Shepherd, which means she weighs like 115 pounds, so she's massive. She's also not that bright. Fast forward to about a year and a half ago, and we got our second dog, who's a little bit smaller, Sonny who weighs about seven pounds, maybe, when her hair is long like this. Sunny is tiny, super cute, and way smarter than Chloe. But both of them have gotten into this weird habit lately, where they like to wake me up around 5 a.m. Now, a little one, it's not such a big deal because she's little, but the big one is just big enough that she can put her nose right in front of my face when I'm sleeping and kind of just breathe on me, which is a great way to wake up, by the way. About two weeks ago, it was a Saturday morning, and I was really looking forward to that Saturday morning because I'd had a lot of really long days recently and had to get up earlier than usual, and I was looking forward to sleeping in. And I thought, I'm going to sleep in, it's going to be fantastic. But Chloe, around 5 a.m., decided to wake me up. In our home, the way our home is, is made up, we have this door that leads from our bedroom into like a little bit of a garden area. So I was like, okay, I'm going to let her out in that area and not the backyard because I just want to go to sleep and I just want to keep sleeping. And sleeping in for me on a Saturday is really like until like 8.30 or 8, maybe if I'm lucky. So it's not really that much sleeping in. But I wanted those extra hours. And so I let her out, and, you know, she does her business. It's all good. And she gets really, really excited. And she's a very excitable nine-and-a-half-year-old dog. And as she comes in, she goes running to the back door. I'm like, oh, great, now I have to let her out in the backyard. I didn't want to do that. She was annoying, but I did it anyway. And she darts out the back door, and there's some rustling. And I don't see her because it's dark. And the next thing I see is this tuft of black and white saunter over towards me. And my dog rubbing her face into the ground. And I quickly close the door because my dog, in her brilliance, for the second time this summer, got sprayed by a skunk in our backyard in the exact same spot. Did I tell you that she's not that smart? And in those moments where I was thinking, what do I do? Because now I'm definitely not going back to bed. I've got to clean off this dog because she's going to stink up the house because last time she really stunk up the house. In that moment, I was thinking, what am I doing? Is this really worth it? 
Is this as good as life gets? It was a moment of deep despair because all I wanted to do was sleep. And all I couldn't do was sleep. But for whatever reason, in that moment, I just felt so discouraged, so dissatisfied with everything, and I just wondered, is this get any better? In truth, it does. But sometimes when we have those moments that don't really go the way we want to, and maybe it's much worse than your dog not being very smart. Maybe it's the phone call you get from the doctor you really didn't want to get. Maybe it's the relationship that breaks up. Maybe it's the professor who says, you know what, you actually plagiarized in this paper and you get zero and you didn't realize it. We have those moments and we can wonder, what am I doing? Is this as good as it gets? Is there any purpose to this? Is there any meaning behind life? And we can get discouraged and down and despair and sometimes give up. We're in this series called Thinking Christian. One of the things that we've been doing is exploring topics that we, if we want to be following Jesus, should be thinking about. And as always, I believe that those who are followers of Jesus should be people who think and not just accept things blindly. One of the things that we need to think about is does life have a purpose or is it just meaningless? Does life have a reason for things that happen? Not necessarily that every little detail leads you to a certain spot, but is there purpose behind your existence? Do you have a reason to be here, or is life meaningless, purposeless? For some of us, we draw the conclusion because we've had so many experiences that are so negative that life is meaningless. And we probably all know people who are either struggling in that place or even ourselves feeling that at times. Wondering if all the hardship is worth it. Sometimes it's hard to know. Maybe you feel like you're lost. Maybe you feel like you're not sure what you should be doing with yourself. And you just feel, is this as good as it gets? Some of us get there. Tragically, some of us stay there. But if we are going to be following Jesus, is that the way of following Jesus? Is there purpose to being here? At all. Some of us would adopt that idea and say, yeah, there is. There's meaning. There's reason behind things. But it's not always easy to do that. And one of the reasons is because of our experiences. What we see in our daily life, what people have said to us, what we have done ourselves or had done to us, we can go, what is the point of all this? And this is something that I think the authors of Scripture wrestled with as well. And in the history of the church, there have been people who've wrestled with it for for many years. One section of scripture that kind of deals with this a little bit is found in Ecclesiastes. When I was younger, I would read Ecclesiastes. This is a book in the Old Testament. It's part of what's called the wisdom literature. Most people believe Solomon wrote it, who is known as the wisest person ever in some traditions. When I would read it when I was younger, I would be so discouraged Because it just sounded so despairing, like there was nothing good. As I grew and as I matured and as I learned, I realized there's a lot in there that's actually, it's not meant to be a discouragement, but something beautiful and poetic and invite us into a life that is so much greater. But it starts off like this in verse 1, chapter 1. It says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, 
Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So if you weren't discouraged before, probably right now you're thinking, yeah, maybe I do feel that. And we can stop there, right? And I think this is sometimes what we do when it comes to reading the Bible, when it comes to, to Scripture, or even, even any kind of uh, articles that we read, is we, we grab a little soundbite, we grab a little highlight, and go, okay, that's all there is. And on the surface, we could look at this one verse and go, wow, this book is all gloom and doom and depressing, and yeah, everything is meaningless. But in the language that it was written in, so this is the Hebrew section of the Bible, the language it was written in, the word that gets used for meaningless is havel. And havel better translates to smoke or vapor or even mist. It's fleeting, something you can't hold on to. And so the teacher here, as they call the author, says life is fleeting. You can't hold on to it. It's very different than meaningless. It's very different than saying there's no purpose to life. It's just saying it's brief. It's not always going to be here. But let's keep reading this section. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything to which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. This can sound very discouraging, very depleting, for sure. But as the book progresses, as this piece of wisdom literature progresses, it's setting a stage for us. And we're not going to look through the whole section here, but I would encourage you on your own, read through Ecclesiastes and try to see where this idea of purpose might come in. But the teacher, the author here, is setting the stage and saying, your experience here is nothing new. Others have gone through it. Your experience here is fleeting. Your experience here is something that other people have gone through and it's been briefer than you've realized. And you may think that you're the only one who will ever go through something, but you're not. There's nothing new under the sun. We forget those who've gone before us, but they went through it too. So the author of Ecclesiastes is not really trying to set us up to be depressed or to find discouragement or to think that life is meaningless. If anything, the author is pointing to us that life should be enjoyed because it's brief. And as you trace through the rest of this writing, it points that out more and more. That while you labor, while you toil, there is purpose and meaning for it. There's reasons to be here. But not all of us feel that way. 
In fact, not all Christians feel that way. So, and there are moments where I don't feel that way. There are moments where in our, you know, my work or in my family or in my school or whatever it might be, I might ask myself, why am I still doing this? Is there any meaning to this? Is there any purpose to this? It's normal. It's natural. It's real. We get discouraged. But we shouldn't think that life is meaningless. To think in a Christian way is to realize that life has a purpose to it, even if we don't fully understand it right now. In fact, the authors throughout Scripture point to a God who is not a God who is disorganized. He's not a God who is, is you know, ambivalent to what's going on, but a God who is purposeful, who has, creates order out of chaos and has reasons for all that is done. Scripture is a very ordered thing that presents this God who is here with humanity, even as we feel alone and meaningless at times, and presents opportunity for purpose and community. Throughout the New Testament, we see it over and over again in some of the authors, in particular, Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, over and over again, as he's writing to churches, writing to people like you and me in the first century world who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus when the world around us doesn't follow Jesus. And as he writes to these churches, as he's communicating to them, whether it's from a visit and he's responding to questions and answering them, or whether it's from what he's heard from other people, he's presenting to them an opportunity to live more and more like Jesus every day. One of my favorite sections in the New Testament is found in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 8. Paul says this. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is a gift from God. Not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul wants this church, and Paul wants us, 2,000 years later, to know that you, if you embrace Jesus, if you choose to submit to Jesus as Lord, choose to follow him, you have been saved by grace. That from the beginning of time, we've had this disconnect from God. And God has made a way for us, all of humanity, all of creation, to be reunited reconciled with him. And it's through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we have that opportunity. Not something we ourselves did, but something God did for us in Jesus. And because God did this for us, it is a gift of grace. You are offered a chance to be part of the family of God, to be made new, to be reconciled, if you embrace it. And then he continues to say, do you know who you are? You are God's, the word in Greek is poema, poem, work of art, masterpiece. You are this beautiful work of art that God made. And guess what? You were made for a reason. For long ago, God had purposes for you. And as you live, and as you exist, you are fulfilling those purposes when you join with him in grace. 
Paul wants us to know, people who are following Jesus, who are striving to follow Jesus, and he also wants those of us to know who are not following Jesus. Maybe we're curious, maybe we're not interested at all, maybe we're actually very anti the idea of God. He doesn't really care who you are. All people are made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God, you are a masterpiece. You might not feel like it. You might feel more like garbage than a masterpiece. But that's not the way God sees you. You are a masterpiece. And for you to come into the fullness of your life is to recognize that and embrace the opportunity to participate in the good works God has for us since before we were even born. Life is not meaningless. Life is not without order. God has made you for purpose. And it might not always be clear what that is. And it might not always be clear when you go through trials and suffering and sorrow and pain that there's something good that God has for you. But God made you for more than just existing and then dying. You were made for more. So how do we discover what it might be that God has made us for? How do we learn to embrace a life that is based on purpose and not meaninglessness? How do we, in our moments where we are so discouraged and embrace meaninglessness, shift back and see that there's a reason why we're here and God inviting us into something? There's a lot of different people who have written different things over time. You see this in kind of like business articles. You see it in church articles all about like how do you discover your calling in life? How do you discover your passion? There's some few suggestions I've compiled from other people and also some that I added from myself. How do you discover the good work that God has for you? Well, the first thing is you ask yourself, uh, what do you care about? What is it that you, you actually care about? Do you care about people? Do you care about animals? Do you care about nature? Do you care about creation? Do you care about singing? Do you care about cars? What are you, what are you passionate about? And from there, you ask yourself the question, where is there a need is what you care about something that needs to be addressed? Do you care about kids not going to school who should be going to school? Maybe stuck in cycles of poverty and unable to get an education. Is there a need for someone to advocate for them? Is there a need for someone to educate them? Is there a need, is there a need to what you care about? And then honestly reflect to yourself, what can you do? What can you do? Sometimes we forget that one, and I obviously put it in the wrong order in the slides, but what can you do legitimately? We might say, well, what I really care about is I I care about the oceans. I care about the pollution that's in the oceans, and I think we need to clean it. And I think that's a very uh, godly, biblical perspective on creation care. Well, I really care about that. And there's a need. We know that there's like this, this waste of plastic in the Pacific Ocean that's like the size of Texas. There's definitely a need, but what can you do? Can you go there and pick it all up yourself? What can you legitimately do to help and self-reflect? Sometimes we get so overwhelmed because the need is so great, and we think, well, I can't fix it. And no, you can't. God will. But you play a part. You have a reason for being here. So what can you legitimately do? What does God say when you pray about it? 
Maybe you're thinking, well, I've never actually prayed about it. Well, start with praying about it. Asking God, what am I passionate about? Like, this is what I care about. What do you, what do you say about what I do about it? Seeking God's guidance is important. As Josiah quoted from Romans this morning about renewing of our minds so that we can test God's good and pleasing will. When we enter into this relationship with Jesus, when we recognize that we are this masterpiece, when we become this new creation that Jesus has made us, we renew our mind and seek him and what his guidance is. What does he say about what you're thinking? What do others say? Are people saying, you know what? That's you. Or no, maybe not. Maybe you would say, you know what? I really, really care about dogs. Dumb dogs who get sprayed by skunks. And I want to start a school for dogs. And there's a need because I heard from Rob that his dog's not too smart. But you're deathly allergic to dogs. And you think, no, 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 I can do this. But maybe someone else needs to say to you, no, actually, you shouldn't. Maybe it's your doctor. What are other people saying? I can tell you right now that I would not be standing here in front of you sharing from God's word if someone didn't say something to me because I never imagined myself even going to church, let alone working in one. God speaks through people. What are people saying to you about what you care about? And finally, have you tried doing something about it? Sometimes we're really passionate about stuff, but we actually do nothing about it. We see it a lot. Maybe we'll talk about it, but we actually don't practice anything. Have you tried to make a difference about the things you care about? Just try. You might fail, and that's okay. Failing can be good. God has made you for something good. You might not be clear on what that is yet, but it doesn't change the truth that he has. It doesn't change the truth that your life has purpose and meaning, and there's something there as God's masterpiece you can embrace. And when you try to think Christian, try to find a way to seek God's guidance in your life, prayerfully consider it, and you'll discover your meaning, purpose, goal, calling is much bigger than you probably ever imagined. My prayer for you is you discover it. Whether it's here within the walls of Bromley, whether it's outside the walls of Bromley, whatever it might be, God has something for you, but it's for you to seek it out and then to live it out as his masterpiece. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are uh, this God who invites us into a relationship with you. That Holy Spirit, through your guidance in our lives, we can come to know the truth of forgiveness of our sins. Even when we feel like maybe we haven't done anything that wrong, we are still disconnected from you. And you give us this opportunity to embrace a wholeness of life only found in Jesus. And I pray that we embrace that. I pray we embrace the truth of your death and resurrection, Jesus. Embrace the grace of the gift it is to be made whole in you. As we embrace that wholeness, help us to recognize that how we see ourselves is not how maybe you see us. 
that when we are down on ourselves and we are discouraged and we feel like there's no purpose to anything, you see us as your work of art, your masterpiece. And you give us this gift of grace so that we can embrace a life full of the good works you have made for us. What a gift it is, Jesus. And I pray we embrace it. And I pray we come to know life in all of its fullness has meaning, purpose, and depth. Even when moments we wonder, is this as good as it gets? The truth is no, it gets better with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.